This morning, I want to take it a little further by looking at the meaning of godliness. That is the title of our sermon this morning as we, we focus on what godliness is and how it relates to holiness. Um, they, they relate, um, but one is not the cause of the other. But there is a correlation, but not causation. Um, one doesn't cause the other, but they are, they are related. All right, there's a relation between holiness and godliness, and that is where we're going this way. So our key text this morning is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, from verse 3 to 11. I'm going to ask you to find that in your Bibles with me. I also want you, if you have a highlighter, a pen, um, something that you can mark, because I'm going to ask you as we go through this particular passage to, to highlight, to mark uh, a few words and phrases in the text that we will be looking at. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Hallelujah. So I want you to get engaged because this is going to be a blessing to you this morning. Once you have found that, as usual, I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We, we do that every Sunday because we honor the Word of the Lord. Um, because His Word is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. First Timothy chapter 6 from verse 3 to 11. Just stand with your Bibles in your hand, if you will, with me, please. Hallelujah. Just lift them up and declare with me that this is God's word, not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can, I, I, I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened. And I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with, doctrine, with the doctrine confirming to godliness, so I want you to underline godliness right there. Verse 4. He is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, verse 5, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So you're going to underline godliness right there again, verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain. You underline godliness again. When accompanied by contentment, for we brought nothing into this world, so we can take, we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
but flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, you underline godliness again, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thy, thine word is truth. It's absolute truth. It is not relative. It is absolute. It is final truth on all matters. It stands the test of time. It lasts forever. It is living. It is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It is life. It was from the beginning and it will be in the end. No one can add to it or take from it. We believe it. All of it. We don't select portions. We believe all of your word. For you are your word and your word is you. So open our eyes to see your truth this morning. Open our ears to hear your voice. Open our minds to understand your word and our hearts to receive everything that you have in store for us. Lord, we want to be more than mere hearers of your words, but doers also. Let your kingdom come and your will be done as we give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Uh, this message will introduce the biblical concept of godliness as the true lifelong pursuit and assignment for Christians, for believers, for people who call themselves children of God. It will also help us to distinguish between true godliness and the worldly form of godliness or false godliness that may have all the outward trappings but none of the inward reality. It would also instruct us in how to achieve our full potential as individuals who are living lives of godliness to the fullest, seeking after God with all their hearts and striving to fill their lives with more of Him in everything they do. But let me relate to you a story to just see your response. So imagine with me for a moment, you're in college or in high school. Maybe you're doing, in college, you're doing your postgraduate studies or your graduate studies, whichever one. Imagine with me that you completed an assignment. You gave the assignment all your time and all the resources you have at your disposal. The lecturer, the teacher, the professor grades the assignment and gives you a big fat F. But below the grade, you see a note. You read a note and the note says something like this. Great, great paper. Excellent paper. Excellent research. But you completed the wrong assignment. 
you misread the assignment. You did the wrong thing with a whole lot of right effort. But a lot of work on the wrong thing still gave you an F. A lot of work on the wrong thing will still give you an F. You see, a lot of Christians today are working on the wrong assignment. We are working hard. We are putting in all the effort we think we can put in. But it is not working. Everything is coming up with a big fat F. We are failing in our lives. We are failing in our priorities. We are failing in our families. We are failing in our communities. We are failing while working hard, while giving it our best shot. I want to suggest to you that that is because much of what we are doing is not tied to the assignment that we have been given as children of God. You may be here sitting and saying that, man, I'm doing my best to serve the Lord. I'm doing my best to obey the Lord. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best, but you're not seeing the results. Could it be that we are working on the wrong assignment? Maybe we are trying to look the part without playing the part. And we have the right looks for the assignment. But we are not playing the right part for the assignment. I would like to suggest to you that our one assignment as believers is to be godly. Our one assignment is godliness. What is our assignment? Our assignment is godliness. It means that if we are putting in a lot of work, a lot of effort in anything else, we could be failing in our lives and in our families and in our priorities because we are working on the wrong assignment. You are redeemed and saved. I am redeemed and saved. We are redeemed and saved for the purpose. One purpose and one purpose only. And that purpose is to become godly. We are not saved to get wealth. We are not saved to have a, a monetary prosperity. We are not saved so that we can look better. We are saved so that we can become like God, which is to be godly. That is the purpose of our redemption. That is the purpose of our salvation. That is to be like God. And to be like God is to be godly. And so godly and holiness are interchangeable. So the scripture says, for example, in First Peter, I believe, be holy as I am holy. Be godly as I am godly. Our assignment as believers is nothing more, nothing less than to be godly. One assignment we have and that is to be godly. As Christians, we have been assigned a task. What is that task? That task is to be godly, to pursue godliness. We stay busy as people and even ministries, churches, doing a lot of things that are not tied to the assignment. And so Paul, speaking to the pastor Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4 verse 8 says, For bodily 
discipline is only a little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I'm going to get into this later. But there is a benefit to godliness. There is a benefit to holiness. And many people are afraid of becoming what God wants them to be because they somehow feel like God is going to take away some of the fun and the joy and the excitement of life. God is going to just flood them with all terrible bad things. Send them to some places to do some things that they don't want to do. And they have this idea that God wants to give them what is worse for them. And so they don't see godliness as a gain. People don't see holiness as something that is profitable. But I want you to know this morning, to be godly and to be holy has a lot of profit. It is profitable. So we're going to get to that. So what is our, our assignment? Our assignment. Paul says, our assignment is to pursue godliness. Because it is profitable for the life we now live and the life we will live forever as believers. The good thing with being godly is that you benefit in the here and now and you benefit in the future. Very few things in life affords you that. Because some of the things that you get reward, rewarded with here now, there is no reward in heaven. There is no like reward. But with godliness, you get rewarded as you pursue it here on earth. And you get rewarded in the life to come. There is a profit in being godly. So pursue godliness. Your job is not to be the best singer. Your job is not to be the best preacher. Your job is not to be the best evangelist. Your job is not to be the best prophet or the most known. Your job is very simple. It is to pursue godliness. What is your job? To pursue godliness. This means we need to understand clearly what godliness is and what it is not. Truth is, if I ask you if you're godly, everybody will say, yes, I'm godly. In fact, the most heathen person you ask will tell you that they're godly. And people believe because they believe that there's a God, it makes them godly. People believe that because they read a Bible, it makes them godly. The man who owns a Bible believes he's godly. The man who visits church every now and then believes he's godly. In fact, he believes he's more godly than the man who attends church every Sunday. The man who attends church every Sunday thinks he's godly. Church, it is possible to have a false kind of godliness. Because Paul warned Timothy about people who hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and he says, avoid such men as these. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Now I want you to do two things for me. I want you to underline that part of the scripture in the Bible, hold to a form of godliness. And I want you to underline the word form, that whenever you see it again and you go over, you will remember this. And underline the word godliness again. It is crucial and critical that we understand the difference between true godliness and its mere form. A form of godliness is false godliness. It is 
the ungodly purporting themselves to be godly because they have the form. Now, the Greek word for form means a shape, silhouette, or an outline. Not the full substance. So when you see a person who's a shadow, you're seeing only their silhouette, right? It's not the real thing. A form of godliness, it has the form, but it's not the real deal. There are many people who have a form of godliness, but it's not the real deal. They look the part. They know how to do the worship, raise your hand. You know, the special way you raise your hand during worship that everybody grew up in church and see. And if you're raising your hand in worship, that's the way to do it. The way to speak in tongues. The way to pray. The way to even change your voice to sound more godly. Hallelujah. Jesus. God Almighty. Come and fire. Right? You know, you know, we, we, we know the little makeup faces, the squeezing together of the eyes, you know, the tightening of the, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Get, we, we, we know the form, you, you know, you know, you know, we, we know how many hallelujahs to say, we know how to get the people going, we have all the form. Pastors know how to take out that rag and hallelujah, hallelujah, we have all the form. Sometimes that happens too. Everything falls off the pulpit because that's a part of it. <laughs> although, it says, watch this. Although they have denied the power. They know that the power is necessary for them to be true godly, but they want to keep the form and deny the power. not the full. What this means for the issue of godliness is that it is possible to look the part of a godly person without having any reality. So how do you know if you're looking at the shadow instead of the real thing? How do you know the real thing? You can look godly and there be no substance. Why? Because false godliness has no power attached to it. Godliness has power attached to it. Because God is all powerful. And to be godly is to be like God. It means that if you are godly, you are like God and God has power. That is why the person who makes excuses and begins to blame people for the state of their spiritual life they are denying the power so they can't be godly. Let me break that down for you. So, boy, if they were only call me and follow up on me, if they did only pray with me more, if the church just did this, and if the sisters in the church did this, and if the brothers in the church did this, I'd be better off. I would not have backslidden. Listen, it's a, it's a lie and it's a blame game because here's why. If you profess to be godly, you have the power of God operating in you. It means you have the power to have dominion over sin. You have the power to stand when being tempted. You have the power to walk in victory. But many people prefer to have the form and not and then deny the power. And that is why the sheep 
and the goat grow together. The wheat and the tears. Because some people continue to display the farm. Though they know there is power to stop the stuff. They know there is power to start to do right. But they keep denying it. I know it. And you know it. And that is why when you come to church you feel bad about last week. Because you know you didn't have to do what you did. Because you know you have the power. You know that you could have stopped because the Holy Spirit was talking to you. But you deny the power. And keep the form. Has that, that has happened to me before. You know you weren't supposed to say that. You know you weren't supposed to act that way. And the Lord said to you, leave them alone. Don't even bother answering. And you say, eh, you, 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 you can't just wait for what is Be repent. And when you come to church now, you know, you know, you know that you're the wrong. But a part of you feels good about it. Because you won the battle, but you lost the war. You can look godly, and there be no substance. Godliness has, false godliness has no power attached to it. This is like putting on a Superman outfit but not being able to fly. That's what it's like. My sons have um, the Black Panther thingy. Somebody gave them that for Christmas. No matter how they put it on, they cannot, they have the muscle thing, the six pack, all of that when they put it on. Listen. I mean, you punch them in their belly, they feel it. Because it's not the real deal. Putting on a Superman suit don't make you super. <laughs> Someone who is impersonating Superman has the form power, the, the form power and a flight, and the attire of power and a flight. But without the accompanying power, to pull off what the form declares can be done. The form is useless. If you have on the Superman suit every day and you don't have the Superman power to go with it, then having on the suit is a useless. If you are walking around with the godly form and you don't have the power that goes with it, having the form is useless. That's what Jesus said about the Pharisees, right? So that they are sepulchers. Like, like, what's this all about? You're putting on a show. But there's nothing. There's no substance. Yeah. The person wearing the outfit better not try jumping off any building. You see, this form of godliness without real power is called religion. You know why people don't like religion? Because religion is a form of godliness without no power. And people know that it's not real. That is why people don't like religious people. That is why if you read the Gospels, the people Jesus corrected the most were the religious people. They were called the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That is why your name if you have no C's in it. Why, why, why? Because they had all the outward. They knew, but they were denying the power. 
religion, church, gives the impression of something related to God. That's real. Related to God. But it's not the real deal. You can look religious, like Pastor Ray had on this white gown last week. Um, you know, you can wear that. You could wear the longest dress, have the best naturally kept hair, all of that. Uh, wear the longest skirt, the longest stuff, you know, all of those stuff. You can use religious vocabulary. You can, you can all of that, you know, you can use redemption. And I'm redeemed and use uh, justification and sanctification. And you can carry a Bible. You can carry one in your hand, one on your phone, and one in your pocket. And still be devoid of God's power. Have all the outward stuff and be devoid of God's power. You see, many of us know what it is like to go to church for years and not be changed. You have seen that. You have seen people growing up, they go to church every day. And they have not changed. You know, people have been in the vicinity of God and have not have the power. Being in the vicinity of God does not have the power to make us more like him, which is more godly. Not because you're close to a church, not because you're close to where God is, means that you're going to be like God. If that were the case, if being in church could make you like God, then being in a garage could make you like a car. The, the, you know, going to the hospital don't make you a doctor. In fact, going to medical school don't even make you a doctor. Because until you pass, <laughs> you understand me? You have to pass courses. So not because you come to church means that you're godly. Not because you're close to church people means that you're godly. Not because the church is close to your house makes you godly. Not because Jamaica is a so-called Christian nation makes you a Christian. The location of the church in and of itself is not sufficient for the purpose of godliness. Godliness is always associated with power. How do I know this? You, you remember when, 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 when Moses went up to the mountain to encounter Jesus at the burning bush. What happened? Uh, Jesus said, Moses, take off your sandals from where you're standing. Is what? It's holy. It's, it's godly. It's a godly place. It, 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 it's God's place because God is here, so it's holy. It is godly. All right, and Moses did what? Moses took off his sandals. Now, the plot of ground was normal ground. We don't know what it was called before, except it was on the top of a mountain. What made a difference was God was there, and all of a sudden, the, the piece of plot, the plot of ground and a mountain changed to holy ground. Alright? Moses didn't change his name. God did. It simply means that where God turns up, it becomes godly or it becomes holy. God is no longer in a mountain for us to walk up to. He has come down to us and he lives in us by his Holy Spirit. So if God, up on a mountain with Moses, called the place holy because he's there, 
then if he comes and he's in us, it means that we are godly and holy because God is here. Amen? What that means then is that if God is all-powerful and God is in you, you have power in you to do what God wants you to do and to be what God wants you to be. And if you can't be that and you can't do that, then you are not godly. So if you're going through the form and lacking the power, it means you are not yet godly or not growing in godliness. So the question is, what is it? What is godliness? The word godliness is used 15 times in the New Testament. Most of the usages are found in the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And you'd expect it to be used there since godliness is the assignment of the church. Amen? And so the pastoral epistles were written to a pastor to tell the pastor what ought to be happening with the congregation. I put it to you, church on the rock, that the assignment of the church, not church on the rock, but the assignment of the church is not to keep concerts. It's not to excite people. The assignment of the church is to bring the people to a place of godliness because that is the assignment of the people. Amen? So Paul tell, tells Timothy, you are to pursue godliness. Our assignment the church and as individuals is to produce an environment where godliness is understood, it is encouraged, and it is achieved. So when you come to church, when we come together, the church must always be an environment where godliness is understood, godliness is encouraged, and godliness is achieved. It's just like that. So what is the purpose of church? To prepare us for godliness. Church is not to make us feel comfortable. It is to make us become godly. Church is not so that everything can be convenient in our life. Church is for the purpose of making people holy or godly. That is why it will never be the way you want it to be. Church will always be and should always be the way God wants it to be. The problem is sometimes even the church is working on the one wrong assignment. Sometimes the church gets caught up in entertaining people than making people godly. Sometimes the church is more focused on getting money than getting people holy and godly. Sometimes the church becomes more about building a bigger building than building people's life into godliness and holiness. Sometimes the church wants to be about praying for God to come instead of bringing people to God and making them godly. Could it be that the church is getting the assignment wrong? See, that's our assignment. All the other stuff we do must be measured by whether we are making the assignment or else we are working on the wrong assignment and we are not getting a passing grade. I've never seen a person studying medicine, reading books on finances. 
you stick to your major. Whatever your major is, that's the books you're going to buy and read and study. And do. do you follow me? The person, like, if we saw the relationship with God like university, we would major on the major and don't have a minor. And the major is godliness. There are very few persons who go to university and they are in the faculty of science, the faculty of business, the faculty of arts, and the faculty of... Very few persons. Most people, for the duration of their university, are staying in one faculty. One, they call it one course of study. Our one course of study is to become godly. Amen? And so, please notice that, that, that Paul speaks to Timothy from our text. In verse 3, he says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine, conforming to godliness. He brings up godliness again at the end of verse 5, when he says, And constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. He brings it up again when he says, um, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. He brings it up again in verse 11. So this is one chapter where we see the word godliness used at least four times. One of the words sometimes that, uh, though it is uh, the, 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 the word, the Greek word, Eusebia, it means reverence towards God. It is used many times to describe what holiness is or what godliness is. Um, that's the word right there. And what it means is, is reverence towards God because godliness is reverence towards God. Holiness is reverence towards God. Reverence towards God. Moses took off his shoes to show reverence to God. Though every day he probably went up to that mountain, it was ordinary ground. When God got there, he had to show reverence to the ground. It means that reverence must be shown wherever God is. If reverence, if God is in your life, if God is in you, you have to approach your life with reverence towards the God that is in you. That's why I tell people, what you listen to is not a matter of what is right or wrong, secular or not, is what gives reverence to God. You follow me? When you're watching something on television, the question you must ask is not whether it is right or wrong. Is, is this showing reverence to God? Because the awareness of God's presence makes you want to show reverence in God's presence. I like listening to two stations on my car radio, depending on what I want to hear at any given time. Gospel station and a sports station. All right? Some people listen to a gospel station and some other station. So I flip back and forth between the station using the button on the dashboard. There are two spiritual stations the Christians can listen to. There is the heavenly station that tunes us into God and an earthly station that disconnects us from God. And far too many Christians spend far too much time 
listening to the world's station during the week. They flip to the God station on Sunday. But as soon as church is over, they flip back and listen to the world's station. We are very flippant when it comes to holiness and godliness. And I'm going to get into why that is short. But we, we act like holiness is a switch. And we call it holy moment and godly moment. We choose when to be godly. And we choose when to be holy. Because we don't see it in the way that the scripture describes it. And so a person in church, you'll never find people more holy than a Sunday morning in church. But you check them on Sunday evening. You wonder if, well, on the, was that the farm and this is the real you? Like, like people believe that you can't be holy at the beach. But the same holiness that is required in church is the same holiness required. There's no different standard of godliness and no different standard of holiness. In all our acts and in all our deeds, there must be reverence towards God. Amen? Watch. So it is possible to have all the outward trappings of godliness with no inner reality. You see, for, for many people, church is God's donut shop. A sweet place with no substance. A lot of people like to go to the donut shop because everything in there is sweet. Everything tastes so good. But no matter how often you go to the donut shop, you are probably not better off health-wise for being there. In fact, the more often you go, the worse off you will be because there is no nutritional value in donuts. For, for many people, church is God's donut shop. They want to hear a sweet song, a sweet word, everything sprinkled with sugar. But no real spiritual substance. That's having a form of godliness while denying its power. People, the godliest people get offended in church. Because they want emotional charge and not spiritual transformation. See, people come to church and if they don't get excited, God didn't move. Because we don't want to be challenged to change spiritually. Because we want convenient Christianity. But that's the, pur the purpose of the church is not convenient. The purpose of the church is to produce an environment where godliness is encouraged, understood, and achieved. So true godliness has power attached to it. See, godliness is not an event you attend and leave unchanged. It is a lifestyle. It is how we operate. It is how we roll. In fact, Flo knows this well. Flo says, this is how we flow. Though they're not flowing. I mean, um, but this is, this, is, this, is how, this is how we roll. This is how I am. This, this, is, this is how I am. I am godly. It, this is not a church thing. It's not an event. It's not a Sunday morning thing. You check me out at the super. This is how I am. Check me at the supermarket. You see the same me. Check me at home. You see the same me. You check me at the beach. You see me. Listen, nothing is wrong with the beach. Nothing is wrong with the movie. The problem is which one of the you going there? Is it the godly you or the ungodly you? The beach can be your holy place. 
as the mountain was for Moses. One day the mountain was as an ordinary mountain. God turns up. Oh, listen, all God needs to do is to be at the beach. All God needs. You, you listen, you want to go to the rum bar? Go. The same holy you goes there knowing that God is there. And reverence God there. And if you can't, then you shouldn't be there. I don't need to tell you where to go, where not to go, what to listen to and not listen to, what to watch and not watch. Here's what. If you are pursuing holiness and godliness, then you must know if you are reverencing God in what you're listening, watching, and where you are going. Because it is a life style. It's not a, 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 a one-day thing. Religion by itself can provide us with these outward forms while not providing any power. You see, many religious people fall into this trap. No power, just form. We need to understand, let me give you this as I give you a definition for godliness then. Because it is not something you turn off and you turn on. Godliness is not visiting church on a Sunday. Godliness is a lifestyle that consistently reflects God's character. You know what God's character is? God is love. Scripture tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, they call it nine attributes. But kind, um, joy, peace, love, faithfulness, kindness, long-suffering, self-control, um, gentleness, uh, meekness, faithful, I think I said faithfulness. But the nine, listen, so here's the thing. Let me help you. It means that wherever you are, those are the character you display. See, what, what we have made godliness about, how we worship, how we sing, how we pray, how much scripture we quote. We have made godliness about those things. When godliness is a lifestyle that reflects God's character. In other words, when I look at your life, do I see love, faithfulness, joy, peace, self-control, gentleness, do, do I see these things? Because that is a measure of our godliness and our holiness. Not the preaching ability. It's a lifestyle. Living in the present, living in the light of his presence puts you on the road to true godliness. You have to live in his presence. If you want to be godly, if you want to be holy, you have to live in the presence of God. Because a godly person is obsessed with God's presence. They can't do without it. They can't live without it. They spend every day in the presence of the Lord. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. They live there. As the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs after you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary place. There's a desire that the next place you're going to be is in the presence of God. You see, I will use driving as an example, driving on the highway. Listen, if I'm driving down the highway and a policeman pulls up beside me, I am forced to drive in the light of his presence. You know how we roll when we see police. 
everything changes. I know, I know you normally drive. Right? So I'm speaking about me. The way I drive. The way I roll. So his presence affects my driving. My foot goes off of the accelerator and left toward the brake. If I'm going... Yeah, right, because my, my vehicle is left-hand drive, right? Yeah, just want to make sure. If I am going faster than him, but still within the speed limit, I won't pass him because I'm affected by his presence. Once I know he's there, it changes my driving habits. However, if he drives off, I'm no longer in the light of his presence. And so I go back to my same old sinful ways. The reason I can go back to my sinful lifestyle of driving over the speed limit is that I'm no longer driving in the light of his presence. The moment I see that he left me and I can dismiss him from my mind, my lifestyle changes. So when it came to driving, I had become a sinful man. However, if the police showed up again, I got holy again. You see, the reason I get holy is because his presence would have shown up. You, you realize what is happening? So when you live in the light of God's presence, it makes you walk in holiness. But if you dismiss him from your mind, you go back to your old sinful habits. Let me say that again. The reason, said a different way, the reason some of us aren't walking in holiness and godliness is because we have dismissed the awareness of God's presence. We don't see God as the ever-present God with us. We see him as a God we visit on Sunday. So the only time we act right is when we visit him. We don't realize that both of us live in the same place. Or it's Father's Day, and I don't want to, but I have to use this example. If a man in Jamaica, they have this term, they call it gyalis. So let me use it. If a man say he's a gyalis, when he's with one of his ladies, he can't be the gyalis. Because in her presence, he's a one burner. Because she's there. But when she's not there, he goes back to his Gallus ways. The problem with us is this. You have to get this. We don't realize that God is always with us. We don't, we don't live like he's the ever-present God. And so because of that, we go back to our old habits. We go back to our old lifestyle because we think we only can visit God in our prayer closet. But when we get to our prayer closet, we are holy. We are fine there. When we get to church, we are fine there. When we get to prayer meeting, we are fine. But outside of that, we dismiss him from our mind. We stop thinking godly and God's presence. So we stop acting godly and we stop acting like God's presence with us is with us. 
Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you're not thinking that God is there with you, then you're not going to act like God is there with you. Amen? Listen, if the police is there and you're dismissing from your mind, you're going to get tickets. Amen? So, that's the effect of living and acting with an awareness of someone's presence. We have to live with an awareness of God's presence. You don't go to meet God. Stop saying you're going to meet with God. God lives with you. He lives in you. He is with you. I'm not coming to church to meet God. I'm coming to church because God is leading me. He's already in me. So on my way to church, I ought to be just as holy as when I start singing the first song. So while I'm driving, God is beside me. So how I treat the next motorist is how... I don't know what to say. You know what I mean? We shouldn't have to be repenting right at the door before we come inside. It's almost when you do that, you're saying, God is in the church, but he's not outside. Come on up. Let, 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 let's move on, right? A godly person is consistently evaluating things from God's perspective. Said it in the first ser service. Listen. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. When it comes on to the godly person, there's no opinion of yours. It's what God says. The godly person says, this is what the Bible says. This is what God's word says. Why? Because godliness requires that you agree with God in everything he says. Let me say that again. Godliness requires that you agree with God in everything he says. In everything he says. Listen, if you're going to be godly, you have to agree with everything in the Bible. Everything. From Genesis to Revelation. Well, Pastor, I don't really agree with that part. Listen, you can't be godly. Well, Pastor, you really believe yeah, that God means you can't be godly. For you to be godly, you have to agree with everything in the Bible. Because there's one scripture that teaches that. It says, all scriptures are God-breathed and they are inspired by God. Therefore, if the Bible says that and you believe part of it, you have to believe all of it. No, you don't have to understand all of it. But you have to believe all of it. I don't understand all of it, but God says it. I believe it. That settles it. God says, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. What if you're hungry? Thou shalt not steal. What if, what, what if I'm a son, pastor? Should I call the police? Thou shalt not steal. It's not a matter of our opinion. It's what God says. We have to be in agreement with God. Challenging God means you have set yourself up as your own idol. You can't, you, can't, you can't challenge God. Every time God says something and you say something else, you are judging God. And if you judge God, it makes you God. A, a God. And you can't want to be like God and be your own God. You're going to be a false God and you're going to have false godliness. There are some things that are hard to agree with. For this reason, the two shall become one. Two 
become one. Not three. No other woman. I know it's hard for you men. Because the amount of girls we are rush you. It don't matter. You don't, it's not like you have a choice. It's a word. So don't tell me about Solomon, many wives, and concubines. Because him dead because of it and lost so many things and says vanity. You'd be foolish to follow him. Don't tell me about, well, what's the back in the Bible days? Eh? Well, let me give you a Bible days. How many wives did Joseph have? One Mary. That is Bible days. Amen? We can't use scripture for convenience. Well, well, pastor, what if, what if, what if we can't afford to tithe? Well, don't tell me. Go and tell God, God, I disagree with you. Only people who can afford to do it. That's between you and God. Well, well, God, you, you know how we see already, God, you, you can't forgive them, you know, because them people are too wicked, God. I can't forgive them. No, some God, I don't already yet. Listen, you can't disagree with God and be godly. Godliness assumes you agree and not disagree with God. You can't be godly and disagree with God. Church, one of the things that keeps us away from godliness is that we keep debating with God, which will automatically block any hope of becoming godly. Now, when I was growing up as a, a young man, I, I, I never had some of these privileges. But there were many people in the community, they would go and watch it for apprenticeship. And, and, and um, they would go and learn trade. So if there was a dressmaker in the community, you'd, be, you'd have to go down to the dressmaker where a female and learn how to sew and the uniform. And they normally would let you come, um, the ladies come during the back to school time. So they can learn how to sew because everybody was learning trade. If there was a, a, a cabinet shop, you'd go there as a young man and learn. If there was a mechanic, you'd do the same thing. Now, say you have a young lady who go down to the mechanic, you know the little machine with them have, and, and you, you press it like that and thing going. You can imagine she go down and say, no, 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 miss, miss, let me tell you something. That's not how you tread needle. No, 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 no. You have to, you have to put the tread in your mouth like this, miss. And then, miss, and then you put it in. No, they, you know, because you know, you know they have this thing that they use to, to do it. I don't even know what they call it, but they have this thing that they have all kind of these fancy things. So this young lady goes up there and telling her, that's not how you tread needle. That's not how you do it, miss. Let me, let me show you. Oh, and they say, no, they say, no, 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 no. And some of my mother teach, listen, you're wrong, you're wrong. You go there, you see, Miss, Miss Fancy, so in her dress, and many years she's doing this. 10 years, no, 15 years. Your mother at 15, send you up there, Miss Fancy, listen. And I see you move your foot on the machine. You have to do it like this, Miss Miss Fanny. I say you do it, Miss Fanny. Miss Fanny, Miss. Stop. You know what Miss Fanny said? Listen. One year. <laughs> and um, I go talk. I go talk to your mother. <laughs> you know what I mean? You ain't going back on Miss Fanny. Why? Because you can't be. You can't want to be like Miss Fanny. And I debate with Miss Fanny. In the same way, you cannot want to be like God. 
and then debating with God. You can't. If, if you're going to be like God, you have to work with it. You have to work with the program. You understand? Just work with the program. Whatever God is doing, you just work with it. You don't like it. You know, you know your way. You just work your way. You just put that down. Not my will, but thine will be done. Well, you know, I know how to tread needle, Jesus, but I say you do it, Jesus. So me, I go do it. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, me know if, hey, Jesus, me know if it change oil, but if I say you do it, Jesus, if you just blow upon it and oil, pull it up, me go do it, Jesus. Jesus, me just work with your program. But most of us begin to debate and want to tell God our ways and our ideas and our thoughts and this is the way. And you cannot be godly, you cannot be holy if you debate with God. You see, godliness requires a prior decision that God's word is true. Period. Comma, comma, full stop. God's word is true. Scripture must overrule our ideas and opinions. What do you think, Pastor? The Bible says. Pass everything you're going to talk about. Bible, 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 Bible. And the real world we live in, you know. The Bible is real. So let me tell you this. If you're going to come to me, I can only give you scriptures. The Bible says that God is always true, church. Even if it makes everyone else a liar. But the devil is many people's professor, teaching them the doctrines of demon according to 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. So be very careful they don't fall into that trap. Where you learn these things in the world and you think like you can bring them into God's kingdom and tell God how to run his kingdom. People want to tell God how to run church and how heaven must work. You know there are people debating God and how people are supposed to get to heaven and who's supposed to get to heaven. The scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then somebody come and tell you, you're not, you're not speaking at tongues of hell, Iago. People debate those things. Let me close with this final thing. We need to realize that they are enemies of godliness. Worldliness is the devil's tool to combat true godliness. You can't be worldly and be godly at the same time. So Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 16, But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Certain conversations are not worth it. Some people are not worth you listening to them. Because this world system is firmly under the devil's control. Let me tell you, everything the world has taught you contradicts what God says. That is why Jesus says, but I say. I want you to go through the Gospels and look how many times Jesus says, but I say. He was saying to them, remember, how, repent for what? The kingdom of is what? Is at hand. In other words, there is a new way of living and there is a new way of thinking. Because a kingdom is where the king has dominion. 
If God is going to have dominion over your mind, there is a different way to think. And that is why the song we did says, transform our minds and conform our wills. Why? Because everything that we learn in the world is wrong. You are taught from a child that this is yours. God says it is ours. You are taught as a child to look out for yourself. Jesus teaches look out for everybody. Prefer one another. You are taught in this world that you need to be loyal to your family. Jesus says, these are my brothers and my sisters. Do you realize that everything the world teaches us, you are taught to save up your money for a rainy day. God says you need to give it away and it will come back to you. You are taught so you need to protect your life. God says you need to give it away. Do you realize that everything the world teaches us is wrong? The world teaches you to get a good education and get a good job and get married and you'll find happiness. The scripture says satisfaction is found in only God alone and contentment. So you can't be worldly and be godly at the same time. Worldliness is a mindset. That leaves God out of the equation. And that's what happened. It leaves God out of the equation. What do we mean by that? Listen, any decision you make that takes God out of the equation means that you're acting worldly. Christians cannot breathe the air of worldliness and still be godly. You cannot. You just can't be worldly and be godly at the same time. Why? Because this world is an environment. It's an alien environment for Christians. We, we are in this world, but we are not what? We are not of this world. We all need to thrive in an environment of godliness. Our environment, our space needs to be godly. So why, why, why do people say you can't have certain friends? Because you're trying to create a space, an environment of godliness around you. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. God has given us new desires and appetites. And so the godly person is one who is starving for God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. The godly person, the holy person, is starving for God. They are hungry. They just want more. They just want more. They can't live without him. They can't do without him. And this hunger is one confirmation of our salvation. Listen, the person who is really saved always have a hunger. I mean, uh, most of us can't do without food, right? Some of us can do without it for a day or two. Some of us can do without it for 30 seconds or 30 minutes for some, right? Why? Because as human, part of our function, the function of our bodies is dependent on food. Food is important, right? In the same way the body depends on food, spiritually, you have a, a yearning inside of you for God. And that should never go away in the life of a believer. No matter how old you are, there must always be inside of you a heart. 
hunger for God because it is proof of salvation. And many persons no longer have this hunger. And here's why they don't have that hunger. Because they are not walking in godliness. They have a form of it, but they are denying the power. You see, people, have, people who have a master's degree sometimes want to go, go on and learn, earn their doctoral degree because a PhD is considered the top of the line in a particular field. But there, there are also financial benefits to earning a degree. And most people who go to all go through all that work don't do it just to have the title after their name. Their value in the marketplace is enhanced, or at least it should be, when they earn a doctorate. Well, in the same way, pursuing godliness has great benefits to it. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me say this we have, as I prepare to pray for you. That many people make you believe that holiness takes away too much from you. Holiness will stop you from having fun. Holiness will stop you from looking attractive. Holiness is going to stop you from getting to marry a nice woman. If you get holy and start serve God, you will get one of them Christian women where all she wants to do is to pray. If you, get, if, you get, if you serve God and get holy and you get married, you're you going you to serve one of the Christian men who not look so good in just love God kind of a thing. Uh, if, if you decide, decide to really get serious with God, he's going to send you to some place where you don't want to go to. He's going to send you to do some things. And because of that, people have no desire for holiness and godliness. But throughout the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, the only time where it speaks about great gain is when it comes to godliness. Check it in your Bible. In fact, how the scripture is phrased, it says, godliness with contentment. It means that you can only find true contentment when you begin to be godly. Holiness will lead to contentment. How do I know that? Because God is content. And to be godly is to be like God. And so if I am godly, I am content. And there is great gain in that. See, too many people are not experiencing more of God because they don't live in his presence. They only visit his presence. As long as you are visiting, you can leave. So religion can give you the impression of something related to God that's not real. You can look religious, wear religious clothes, use religious vocabulary, and even carry a religious book, the Bible. You can hang out with religious people, and yet there can be no power. Once you say, I don't think God is right, you have judged God. And if you judge God, you have become your own God. And another God is an idol. You don't have to be a criminal to be worldly. 
All you have to do is to leave God out of the equation. And you would have just become a worldly person. Listen, I want to pray. I want to pray for us this morning. So I'm going to ask you, I mean, if you desire to, that godliness is to reflect or to live a lifestyle that reflects the character of God. Not just a Sunday thing, not just a, a, a Wednesday thing, but an everyday thing. A lifestyle that reflects the very character of God. To live in an awareness of God's presence. To walk in true godliness and true holiness. Not just displaying the form, but having the power that comes with the form. Listen, I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that God would just bring you to that place where you would walk in godliness and walk in holiness. So just, just right now, I just want you to stand to your feet with me. I want you to lift your hands. And I want you to begin to pray and say, God, I desire to be godly. I desire to be holy. I desire to be holy, Lord, because you are holy. Begin to say, Lord, I choose today. I choose today to live a life that consistently reflects your character. I come into agreement with everything you say. My opinion and ideas means nothing when it comes to your word. Come on, just lift your hands and say, Lord, today I ask you to take my heart and mold it. Take my mind and transform it. Take my will and conform it to yours. I choose to be holy. I choose to be godly. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I don't know, maybe there are some things in your own life that you know right now and God is speaking to you and saying, Lord, you know what? I have some attitudes that don't reflect your character. Lord, Lord, remove them. There are some things that I say, Lord God, and you know, they're not true reflection of your character. So God, take them away. 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 Yes, Jesus. So take them away, Lord. Desecrating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me this morning. I choose to reverence you every day and every moment of my life. Come on, with your hands lifted just one more time. Say, Take my heart and mold it. Take my mind and transform it. Take my will conform it. 
who you are. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person standing. I pray in the name of Jesus that as they lift their hands this morning, that God, you will call them to forever hunger and thirst for you. For your words declare that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. As the deer pants for the water brooks, may their souls forever long after you. I declare them to be holy as you are holy. For your words declare that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people who you have called out of darkness into your marvelous light. Come on, just, I just need someone, someone needs to say this, Lord, I'm done debating with you. You said it, I believe it, and that settles it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, just clap your hands for Jesus. Hallelujah. I think he deserves better than that. Don't give him no pot of cake. If you're going to clap your hand, just clap your hand for him. Come on, give him a bigger hand clap than that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, God.